I think my daughter outpreached me today. Well, you know, I love to trace how the Lord um, works in people's lives. And uh, so I want to help you this morning to do that. So here you have Marion who trusted the Lord as a result of what the Lord did for her. But it was through conversations that she had with Luke and with Sharon. And uh, Luke was saved uh, shortly before that as a result of a message he heard here. Eric Shorkin was preaching. Eric Shorkin heard a message some many years ago. He's an old man now. And... Uh, <laughs> And he was quite young when he heard the gospel message and he trusted in Jesus Christ. And you start tracing back the story and I can actually tell you where it all began. And we're actually going to look at that this morning. So we have, um, for those of you who are visiting today, we welcome you. And uh, we have just begun a new series starting with the book of First Thessalonians. It's a book in the New Testament in the Bible. And last week we told the beginning of a missionary story. And the neat thing about it is that what you saw today, these three who were baptized today, who were saved recently, actually, they would not have come to know the Lord. Their lives would not have been transformed. Um, Luke's life would not have been transformed. My life would not have been transformed. In fact, the gospel would not have come to North America had it not been for the event that we're looking at uh, today. And it's an exciting story of how God saved a man who was actually opposed to God. His name was Saul, and he was actually trying to crush the church when it first started in the uh, early part of um, uh, right after Christ left uh, earth and went to heaven. And so Saul was a Jew. He was trying to crush the church so that it would not interfere with Judaism. And while he was seeking to crush the church and exterminate it, God spoke to him on the road with papers in his hand with permission to uh, crush the church. And God stopped him in his tracks and he said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? He said, I am Jesus, whom you persecute. And right then and there, Saul came to know the Lord. He was saved. And God set him apart in a special way to be a spokesperson for the gospel. The gospel, as Eric mentioned, is the good news. The good news tells us, first of all, it's bad news. It first of all tells us that we're sinners. It first of all tells us that we have no relationship with God. It first of all tells us that we are separated from God. And if we die in that condition, that we will spend eternity in hell. That's the bad news. But the good news is that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. He died in my place and in your place that you might have your sins forgiven and you might have a place in heaven. So this is the story Um, As it goes forward, Paul has already made one missionary journey. He's now going out for his second missionary journey. And as he goes out, he decides that he wants to go up into Asia. And the Lord says, no, Paul, I don't want you going into Asia. Not now. Well, then I'm going to go over here instead. 
And the Lord says again to him, no, not now. And that night, he has a vision from the Lord of a man in the area of Macedonia calling Paul and says, come over here, help us. And so Paul recognizes that the Lord is directing him into what we now call Europe. Had the gospel not gone into Europe at that time and place, the gospel would not have come here to America in the condition that we have today. These three who were saved recently and have now been baptized may never have heard the gospel. But praise the Lord, as you trace back the history of what God has done, it all started right here in this passage we're looking at today. So let's take a look, first of all, at Acts 17, 1 through 9. And this is part of the second journey of Paul. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, and they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews, then Paul, as his custom was, went into them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead. And saying, this Jesus, whom I preach to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded. And a great multitude of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women, joined Paul and Silas. That is, they got saved. They believed the gospel. They were saved. But the Jews who were not persuaded, becoming envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace and gathering a mob, set all the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason, that's where Paul was staying, and sought to bring them out to the people. And when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, These who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Jason has harbored them, and these are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying, There is another king, Jesus. And they troubled the crowd and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. So when they had taken security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. And so we continue our missionary story. This is the story of how God brought the good news of salvation to Europe and ultimately to England and ultimately to the United States. And the gospel is now going out around the world. Why? Because Paul followed the command of the Lord and went into this area um, of Macedonia. We talked about what happened last week, how Paul preached in the first town, which was Philippi, how he delivered a woman who was demon-possessed from the demon, how he was um, arrested and thrown into prison, how in prison, in, the, in, the cell, in his prison cell, he was shackled, he was in stocks, and at midnight... He and Silas were crying out to God, singing praises to the Lord, and God sent an earthquake, opened the prison doors, and uh, the jailer, the warden of the jail, thought, I'm I'm a dead man. If the prisoners are gone, my life is at stake. And Paul realized that he was about to take his life, and he cried out, we're here. And that night, that prison warden was also saved. Paul then traveled to the next town, which is where we're at in our study. It was a major city in Greece, the city of Thessalonica. Paul's strategy, as you trace his steps, is always very similar. He goes into a city and he looks, first of all, for the Jews in the synagogue. 
These are people who have already had some exposure to the word of God, and he tries to reach his countrymen first. And if they believe the gospel, great. If they reject the gospel, he wipes his hands of them and he goes to the Gentiles and he begins to deliver the message to the Gentiles. For three Saturdays, it says three Sabbaths, three Saturdays, he went to the temple, uh, to, the, uh, to the Jews, and there he preached Christ crucified. He said basically to them this, you have been offering lambs as a sacrifice. Those lambs don't take away your sin. Those lambs are simply a picture of what Christ has already done for you. The lamb's sacrifice simply cover over, like a blanket, over your sins. But Christ died on the cross for your sins and has taken them away if you believe the gospel. He preached Christ crucified, and he preached Christ risen from the dead. Eric mentioned this in his um, message earlier. He said, Christ rose from the dead. That is proof that God is satisfied that Christ's payment on the cross for our sins is full and complete. And if we simply receive him as our Savior, our sins can be forgiven. That's the good news. That's the news that Paul was preaching here in Thessalonica. So he went to the Jews first. Some believed, some didn't. And then he went out to the, the Gentiles. Well, the Gentiles were, wow, we, these were people that were not real good people. Kind of like me. Kind of like you. Okay? They were sinners. The uh, people of Thessalonica, the Gentiles, they were idolaters. What's an idolater? It's somebody who worships idols. And so they would make these idols and they would bow down to these idols and worship them as their God. You know what the Bible calls an idol? He calls an idol a lie. It's a lie. It's a deception. People believe that they can do something and uh, they can't. It's an image made by man and is an object of worship to those who have them. Do you know why we don't have a cross on this building? Because we don't want people confused that somehow the cross is what we worship. I don't worship a cross. I hope you don't either. I worship Christ who died on the cross for my sins. That's who I worship, and I hope you do as well. We don't have symbols because it's not the symbols that save. It's salvation is in a person, and that person is Jesus Christ. That's the good news that we preach. So Paul came and he came across these idolatrous Gentiles. Gentiles. Some of the um, um, idols that they had may have been very costly. Some of them may have been made out of gold. Some of them silver. Some of them with precious jewels uh, on them. But there is only one God. There is only one God. And actually, God uh, tells a very interesting story in the Old Testament. He tells a story about idolaters. And he says, an idolater is foolish. Why is he foolish? Because he goes into a forest and he looks at a tree and he says, oh, there's a good tree. And he cuts down the tree and as it falls to the ground, he sizes it up and he says, I'm going to make three parts out of this tree. And he cuts it into three parts. And with the first part, he chops it up into kindling wood and he cooks his supper meal on it with that part of the tree. 
With the second part, he cuts it up, chops it up again, and he warms himself by the fire. Same tree. With the third part, he takes out a knife and he carves an idol. And he makes this idol and he has to make it so it doesn't topple over. And he says, you are my God. Same tree. He burned two parts of it. Same tree. It's an idol. And God is mocking them and he's saying, how foolish you are that you would worship an idol made out of sticks or, or out of other, other things. But how foolish it is that when you are finished with it and you're going on your journey, you have to reach down and you have to pick up your God and carry him with you. Isn't that foolish? It has eyes, he says, but it cannot see. It has ears, but it cannot hear. It has feet, but you have to carry it. How foolish that somebody would worship an idol instead of worshiping the true and living God. Idols cannot forgive sins. Idols cannot save a person from hell. Idols cannot save a person from the wrath to come. The Bible says this, Nor is there salvation in any other For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which you must be saved. What name is that? I heard a couple people. What name is that? Jesus. He is the only one who can save. This was the message that Paul brought to the people of Thessalonica. And it's the same message that we bring to you today. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That's the message. Saved from, saved from what? Saved from the wrath to come. Saved from the wrath to come? What do you mean when you say the wrath to come? Jake, you've got a picture for us, don't you? You've seen pictures of people like this. Maybe you've actually seen people like this who are standing on the street corner with a sandwich board. The end is near. The end is near. And most people who see things like this, they think to themselves, what kind of a kook is that? Here's a guy. uh, There's actually a guy who does this um, on the street corner of Redwood Road and Castro Valley Boulevard. He's out there every once in a while. It's a very long board. And one day I thought, I'm going to go up and talk to him. What's he all about? Because a lot of people say very unkind things about him. So I went up to him and I, I tried to engage him in a conversation. And he wouldn't speak to me. And he's sitting there. And he's holding this sign of judgment to come and God's wrath that was about to fall on the earth. And when I ask him questions about it, he won't even talk to me. I go, well, that doesn't make sense. So there are kooks out there who... Um, I mean, I shouldn't judge him. I don't know what's in his heart, really. I just don't know why... If somebody's actually asking him what he's doing out there and why uh, he's saying these things, why doesn't he talk? Why doesn't he say something uh, about it? Sometimes when I teach the Bible, I feel like this man or the man standing on the street corner, standing alone and all the pastors by just ignore the message. They write me off as a kook. Oh, brother, there's that Robertson guy again. But what does it mean? The end is near. Well, I want you to think about I don't know what he means by it because I haven't talked to him. But I, I want you to think about something for a moment. 
How often do you hear the news, watch the news on TV, listen to it on the radio, read it in the newspaper, and your heart is just so grieved by the things that are going on? You walk away from the Internet, reading on the Internet, and you see another beheading. What's your reaction to that? You look at all the wars that are going on. You think about all of the crime that is taking place. You think about people's hatred one towards the other. And uh, you think about all the wars, the fighting, the murders, the rapes, the incest, the abortion, the lies, the cheating, the immorality, the deceit. And you think about it and you say, something has to be done about this. Many of you go to your workplace after reading the newspaper or hearing something on the news, and you talk about these things. And you go, wow, the world is really getting crazy. It's really getting bad. And you talk about these things amongst yourselves. And you think, there's got to be an end to this. Somehow, somewhere, some way, there's got to be an end to all of this carnage that is taking place. Something has to be done about the fraud in governments, the waste, the stealing, the con men. There has to be a judge who will finally step in and will enact righteous judgment on these things. Because it's not happening in our society. And as you read these things and hear about these things, what's going on in your heart? Deep down inside, you're saying there's got to be an end to this. There's got to be righteousness that takes place. When will the crimes be punished? When will justice be served? And if you have any sense of fairness and any sense of righteousness, you have to wonder to yourself, when will this madness end? Well, I want to tell you, the end is near. The end is near. In the days of Noah, the wickedness of man filled the earth. And the Bible says of mankind that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And God is fair and God is just and God is righteous. And he stepped into time and into history and he said to Noah, build an ark. I'm going to destroy the earth with a flood. And for a hundred years. Plus years, Noah built the ark and preached to the people of his generation that they could be saved from the wrath to come if they just entered into the ark. God is fair. God is just. If they just entered into the ark, they could be saved. There were eight people that entered the ark and the rest of the world perished in the flood. God has already in history in the flood, shown or demonstrated his wrath. He demonstrated it with a flood. He demonstrated his wrath against the homosexual sin of Sodom and Gomorrah by sending fire and brimstone upon those cities. Those people had given themselves over to sin that God forbid, and God's wrath was shown to that city. God will once again Destroy this earth. It tells us that in the scripture. Not with a flood, but with a fire. And I want to tell you, the end is near. We're not far away from it. And when he comes, the Bible says, it will be in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. You say, okay, preacher, judgment, wrath, fire, brimstone hasn't happened yet. Yeah, it did. It happened in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. It happened in the days of Noah. And it will happen again. The end is near. Do I know the date and the time? No, I don't. Do you? No, you don't. When Paul and Silas came to Thessalonica, they preached about God's wrath against the idolatry that was going on in that city. But they also preached to the same people that God loved them and he loved them enough to die on the cross for their sins. He told them that when Jesus Christ died on the cross and he shed his blood, he was actually paying Their sin's penalty. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. Jesus died in the place of every one of you and every one of the Thessalonians that we are reading about today. That's my message this morning. The end is near. God's wrath is coming. But you can be saved from the wrath to come. The three who testified this morning in their baptism testified of the fact that they were sinners. That they needed salvation. They wanted to escape from the wrath to come. And I hope you have enough sense this morning that you too will escape the wrath that is coming. Paul visited this town of Thessalonica. There was persecution. He went on to deliver the same gospel message to other cities. And he came to a city called Corinth. And he was there for about 18 months. During his stay in Corinth, he wrote the first letter... Uh, to the Thessalonians, um, uh, probably about a year, a year or so later. And so he had left them. They had come to know the Lord. They had turned from their idols and they had turned to the living God. And Paul uh, had left them. Now he was writing to them and, and just wanting to encourage them in their walk with the Lord. And so that's what we want to look at right now. Very quickly, we're going to just go through chapter 1. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, When we studied Ephesians, we saw that phrase, in Christ. Eric mentioned it this morning as well. In Christ. When someone believes on the Lord Jesus Christ... God places them in Christ. And so when God sees me, he actually sees Christ. Not that I'm Christ, but that I'm in him. And so all of the perfections of Christ actually become mine. The reason I'm accepted by God is because he accepted his son. And if you're in him, you're accepted in the beloved. You're accepted in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, if you're in Christ, is Christ going to be judged again? Is Christ going to face the wrath of God a second time? He already faced it on the cross. He's not going to be punished a second time. When Jesus died on the cross, he said these words, It is finished. It is finished. He will never be punished again. And if you are in Christ because you have believed the gospel, you will never face The wrath of God. That's the first point Paul is making here. You will not face the wrath of God because you are safe in Christ. 
We give thanks, verse 2, to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers. That would be quite a study by itself, Paul's prayer life. We don't have time for it this morning, but he was making mention of them in his prayers. Verse 3, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of our God and Father. Three things he mentions, their work of faith. What does that mean? It simply means they believed the gospel. The Bible commands us to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we do, that is a work of faith. It's not a meritorious work. It's just simply a proper response to the gospel being offered to us. God says to us, I'm going to give you a gift. It's free. You don't pay for it. It's salvation. Just come and ask me for it. It's yours. And your sins will be forgiven. You'll be on your way to heaven. And you'll be exempt from the wrath of God. Wonderful, wonderful gift. Work of faith. Second, their labor of love. Paul was impressed. And we're going to see this later in our study in the, in the next few weeks. That after he had left and they had, had lived out their Christian life for a year, they were actually known throughout the whole region, the whole known world at that time, as being on fire for the Lord. And uh, their love was, was key, their labor of love, love for the Lord, love for the believers. And it says their patience of hope. The fact is, they were persecuted almost immediately after trusting in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And Paul is saying, what a wonderful thing it is that you are patient in the midst of trials. You are patient in the midst of persecutions. And you still hope. You, you're looking forward to that day when Christ will come again and take you to himself. Verse 4. Knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. Paul addresses them here as beloved brethren. Uh, as beloved brethren. If they are brothers in Christ... That means that they, along with Paul, have the same father, right? Who is Paul's father? God. Who is the father of all believers? God. We're all part of the same family. If we're part of that family, and Christ has already suffered judgment for us, will we be subject to judgment too? No. You can count on it. Next he says he knows their election by God. That means this. That God chose them before the foundation of the world to save them and to make them his own special people, to make them his children. And God has elected those um, who will believe in him and he saved them from the penalty of sin. The end is near, but there's no wrath for them. Verse five says, for our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit, and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction, with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth. Ah, now we have traced the steps back from where these three came to know the Lord, all the way back to this time. There it is. It says this. For from you, 
the word of God of the Lord has sounded forth not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. These people were so excited about the fact that God had saved them, uh, had delivered them, had forgiven their sins, had set them free from the judgment to come, that they were gossiping the gospel everywhere they went. And I want to encourage you, if you know Jesus Christ, somebody's got to know. Let them know about Jesus Christ and how he can forgive their sins as well. From you, the word of the Lord has sounded forth. Your faith toward God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. When the gospel came to the Thessalonians, Paul and the others were persecuted. The Thessalonians heard the gospel, which is the power of God unto salvation. And the Holy Spirit convicted them of their sin. They repented of their sin and they began to spread the gospel to other people. That's our whole reason for existing on earth today is to let others know that they can be saved from the wrath to come. The end is near. It's on the doorstep. The Lord is coming and he's coming soon. It will be for judgment. There will be a time on earth where God will pour out his judgment because of sin. All of the things that I mentioned to you before, there has to be justice served and God will do so. Great change in their life. Verse 9, for, the, for they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. They didn't have Facebook back then, but had the Thessalon- Thessalonian church had a Facebook page, Paul would have been the first one to like it. Okay? And many others would too. Because it was, it was so clear, the change that had taken place, the transformation that had taken place. These people were idolaters. That was their sin. Paul came in and preached the message that Jesus is the Christ. He is the only way of salvation. They believed. And their lives were transformed. And so Paul was getting feedback, not only from the immediate area, but everywhere he went, people talked about the Thessalonians. And uh, the transformed lives of these people. Their repentance was real. Read this again. They turned to God from idols. What is repentance? We are living in sin and we say, you know what? This is sending me to hell. And we turn to God from our sin. That's repentance. And the gospel that is preached is repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Idols are a lie. And idols may be made of wood or metal. Idols may be people in your life. Idols may be money or possessions or anything that takes first place in your heart. That's an idol. They saw what Jesus Christ had done for them by dying on the cross for their sins and paying for their sins in full. And they said, you know what? He deserves first place in my heart. He deserves everything, my life, my all. No idol has ever done anything for anyone. They chucked their idols and believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 10, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. There it is again. They no longer serve their idols, but they serve the Lord. And from the moment they believed, they had something to look forward to. They were waiting for the Lord's soon return. 
From the very beginning of church history until the present day, there has always been this hope of the imminent return of Jesus Christ. And I'll tell you something, as I read through the signs in the scripture one more time last night, we are so close. We are so close. We don't have dates. We've never set dates. And we're told in the scripture not to set dates. And anybody who sets date, I will tell you the truth right now. The date that they're setting, it will not happen on that day. Guaranteed. Okay. We're not called to set dates. God wants us to be ready. And he is coming. And he is coming for his own. He will deliver us from the wrath to come. The end is near. Well, let me ask you the question. Are you looking forward to that day with anticipation? Or are you looking with a certain amount of dread because you'll enter into it? You don't have to. That's the whole point. That's the whole point of the message of the gospel is that the Lord has already suffered the judgment for you so that you might be free. I'm going to leave you with just um, two verses. In John chapter 3, verse 36 It says this, he who believes in the son has everlasting life. He who does not believe the son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. That means right now in their present circumstances, they are under the wrath of God and they will enter into the the judgment. How do you get out from under that? The first part of the verse, he who believes in the son has everlasting life. And I'm so thankful for the three who have recently trusted Jesus Christ and they are delivered from the wrath to come. And that's what we preach to you today too: deliverance from the wrath to come. Be like the Thessalonians who believed in the son and received everlasting life. And Paul says in Romans to all who believed there is therefore now no condemnation. To those who are in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, as we think of the gospel message, what a wonderful message it is that we who deserved to be under the wrath of God for our sins have been delivered from the wrath of God because Jesus bore the wrath for us on the cross. Thank you that he was our substitute. He paid the price uh, to deliver us from the penalty of sin. And Lord, we just pray this morning that there would be many here today who, if they do not know you, would today trust Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. That we would turn from whatever idols they have in their own life and turn to the living and true God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.